Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Lauren and Isabella met dancing in high school in Sydney, Australia. In this episode, both generously share their experiences as pre-professional dancers. Today, Lauren dances recreationally and is exploring a new and different career pathway. Isabella has completed a Bachelor of Arts in Arts Management and Dance Performance and a Master of Creative Industries. Before we begin, I'd like to let you know that we discussed some difficult topics in this episode and it might be best to listen with a parent. I've also included some resources in the show notes, just in case you need them. Remember, go get them, but don't get them all at once. So welcome Lauren and Isabella to the Prepoint pod. Thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> so we're talking today about decision-making through pre-professional pathways and how those journeys can kind of differ for dancers um, and the sorts of things that might influence those decisions. Because um, I think once you have point shoes, it's then what do I do with them? That's kind of the, the place <laughs> that, we're, that we're moving to with this podcast. And you're both um, dancers who have danced I guess, through high school quite seriously. And now you have very, I guess, different but similar pathways that you're following. Um, and we're just going to talk a little bit about your experiences um, as student dancers and, and moving into the careers that you're moving into now and some of the pathways that, you know, that ballet, I guess, ballet training can lead to. So I'll start with Lauren first. Um, can you explain your ballet pathway? Okay, so I first started dance uh, when I was roughly three years old at just a local dance school. I went there partially because my sister loved dance and she went there and I did everything my big sister did. So I followed her. I stayed there up until I finished primary school. And then at that stage, it was time to progress into a larger dance school partially because my local dance school shut down so and I still wanted to continue dance and so did my sister uh, when deciding a dance school because it, it was a there was all a few different schools around in Sydney and it we chose the school mainly for convenience uh, because my sister and I both went to an academic high school uh, in year seven I know some dancers go full-time at such an early age uh, although I still wanted to maintain my academics, partially because I know that, that academics are so important. My sister and I went to our high school in Strathfield, and so we went to McDonald College Performing Arts School. I uh, stayed there after hours until year nine, and year nine is, was also kind of a crucial, pivotal moment for many dancers where I know a lot of them either go full-time, although the compromise was with my parents is that I could go to a performing arts school. And so I transitioned to going to McDonald College a Performing Arts School, and I went there for my academics, and I also did my performing arts there, which was classical ballet during the day as well as after hours. Uh, it was a fantastic school. I learned so much. It was great. Uh, and then in year 
11. So I stayed there for about two years. Uh, it's also around the time where a pivotal moment in a dancer's life is when they either go overseas or they do more pre-professional training. And so that was the time I did my audition videos at the end of year 10. I sent them off to a whole heap of schools. I was very fortunate though that the English National Ballet School, they came to McDonald College's summer school and I did the in-person audition and I was very fortunate to receive a full scholarship to English National Ballet School in London. So I left to go there in the middle of year 11. I stopped doing all my academics because I thought, who needs them? Who needs academics? I'm going to be a ballet dancer. And in saying that, over at the English National Ballet School, you do get a diploma. So I thought that would count for something here in Australia, although it's a bit hard to get a ballet diploma from Trinity College London to count for academic points mm. at a university here in Sydney. At least I found anyway. Um, so, yeah. After in London, I ended up moving schools again to Amsterdam, and that was half just during my third year and I moved with a few other students in my dance school and we moved partially due to not the best management in directors. Uh, unfortunately whilst I was at the school there was a huge shift in teachers, uh, big changes after the first year and again after the second year and then after I left there was another big change and that inconsistency in teaching uh, kind of did not lead the best progression in my ballet career. And so I made the decision to move to Amsterdam and stay there for about a year and a bit. But then unfortunately I had some health issues and had to come home and that's kind of that. It's an interesting um, point that you make about changing teaching staff. Obviously that's something that you know, there's actually often very little control over over that situation mm -hmm. when you're a student. Um, how does that then affect you as a student or how did you feel that it affected you? Like, was it confusing in your training or, I mean, having a variety of different teachers is sometimes a really good thing or having like guest mm -hmm. teachers coming in and lots of different perspectives. But like, at what point does it become really challenging? So it came challenging to the point well, that each teacher had their own style and there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it's great, a slightly different style. Although, for example, on the Saturdays, we used to have an open kind of style class with very different teachers, like from the different year groups. Also, they had different ways of saying different things slightly because there was Cuban style. Uh, there was one teacher from Russia, a teacher from America, teacher from France and each country has a very different unique style um, so that was interesting also there wasn't the best management in saying that there are other things too yeah so yeah that's true I guess um how old were you when you were changing teachers like that so changing the different styles so when I first went over there in, I was first year, mm. I was very Russian based style. So Lagarde style. Uh, and then in second year, we had a bit of a change. It was a Cuban style, more Cuban style. Uh, and third year was English, very English based. Um, but then I left, so. Mm. So I how, how old were you at, sort of from first and second year so when I was when I went into first year I had just turned 17 so yeah okay my 17th birthday is fine I guess and I definitely learned a lot from learning the different styles of ballet mm. because they're each so different and you work so differently so which is your favorite oh, <laughs> which one did you favorite? prefer yeah I definitely have to say I had an amazing teacher in second year and I really like the Cuban style but I think it's not particularly the Cuban style I think it was her particular style of teaching the way she taught dance made me change my ballet technique forever she was very specific about the anatomy the placement of the bones and I know speaking for myself and I think on behalf of the class that we can say that we changed our ballet technique the way we worked how our muscles developed 
I learned mm-hmm. a lot about how different placement of the bones impact how your muscles development. And because ballet is so much about aesthetics, that is a very crucial element. And I think growing mm-hmm. up, dancers have all these things about, you know, you can't have too big thighs or too big calf because it's very mm-hmm. much aesthetic thing. And so I learned that if you put your bones in an atomic anatomically the right placement then you would develop the lines that are aesthetically ideal for ballet so mm. it made ballet make sense so I really enjoyed that yeah okay that's cool and so Isabella what's your ballet pathway um yes yeah, so um very similar to Lauren I was the little sibling so I like to follow everything that my older brother did um uh, basically all the sport that he did and then when I was about seven I said uh, Jackson I'm doing ballet now I assume you don't want to follow me <laughs> so I did it by myself um, and uh, yeah I started at, at a local dance uh, dance school I think um, oh I was in year seven as well when I um, when I finally changed yes um, uh, so um, I grew up in southwest Sydney um, so I went to Westfield Sports High School they had a fabulous dance program which I, I did enjoy um, being there and um, then in year seven um, when I started high school I changed from the local dance studio to MacArthur Ballet and Dance Studio which was a very big step for me <laughs> because um, it was a, a very ballet specialist school which is what I wanted and I hated change even in year seven so <laughs> it was very scary but very good um, so I think oh how long was I there for um, seven uh, eight nine uh, for three years so I did up to advanced foundation in my RAD exams um, and I think it was about year nine when um, a lot of the girls um, at my studio started going full-time and that was when I had countless nights with mum and dad saying oh that sounds interesting would I be able to do that and um, same here my, my parents are both high school English teachers so they said no way oh my goodness, what are you talking about? You're, you're in a dance program at school. What more do you want? <laughs> you know? Um, so yes. So I was still, uh, when those girls were transitioning, I was still dancing with them after hours. So I did kind of find that difficult because I wanted to follow them and I'd be like, oh, they're getting to do more ballet than me. But you know, when I'm at, in 2016, in year 11, I moved to McDonald College. That was a lot different as well like um, moving to a much bigger school and obviously the school had an actual academic school Um, and I obviously met lots of beautiful ballerinas like Miss Lauren here (laughs) so I was very grateful Um, so I did my advance one and my advance two there at McDonald College I was in the PS uh, the Premier State Ballet um, uh, in year 11 but um, fortunately I didn't do the actual performance because I was doing my HSC so in terms of my ballet pathway, I did find that very difficult because I was always torn between doing school and ballet. So, yes, I, I, I almost hated that in a way. Like I didn't I never felt like I had the best of both worlds, even though like a lot of people would look at me and say, oh, you do, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I think mm-hmm. when you're looking at the way that academics fits, like there are mm. a lot of students that actually give ballet away when they start year 11 or 12 just because the academic yeah. mode becomes so mm. big so yeah. I think it is always a challenge I think for those schools to to make it work and to make it fit I think mm. when they sort of have been running for so long like they work out a way to kind of make it work and it does mean probably mm. giving you you know time to actually sit those really important exams at the end of year 12 and yeah it just might be different I think you know a European sort of system or an English system versus an Australian system even you know talking to students that I work with in India like their schooling system Mm. is completely different too so different Mm. priorities and different things yeah yeah Yeah, very cool wow (laughs) so similar similar pathways but still quite different um (laughs) so you both talk about your parents as being really strongly influencing your journey. Did you have any other sort of role models like your teachers or peers or um, any other sort of experiences that made you 
sort of say, yes, I want to pursue this? Like what was the turning point, for example, Isabel, that made you sort of say, yes, I want to go and audition for McDonald College? And I guess, um, Lauren, you talked a little bit about your the, the, the decision to change and move to Amsterdam. Um, mm. what, was, what was that sort of defining moment where you said, yep, that's it, I'm going to the UK? I know like for me, I had a moment where I was sitting probably when I was in year seven watching an Australian ballet production. It was the first main stage ballet production I ever saw and it was Graham Murphy's Swan Lake and I was sitting there in the audience thinking, yeah, I could probably give this a go. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know that it was quite challenging to try. But I'm, I mean, every everybody has a moment like that probably where where the, the, the switch flips. So tell yeah. me, Isabella, tell me. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Yes, I think um, when I um, decided to go to um, McDonald College, I thought, um, yes, I do want to make this move. And but I also know I'm going to finish year 12. Like I knew that. But I just thought I know that it's out of the norm for ballet, but um, I'm going to finish year 12. And then I definitely want to do full time and see if I want to audition for places or, you know, if I just decide no, no more. No more dancing. <laughs> so I did do that. Um, and then after school, I did um, um, I did a few auditions for full time, <clears throat> one um, in Woolloomooloo and one in Wollongong. And um, I ended up going to Joanne Grace um, in Wollongong, which was amazing. It was very far because <laughs> I was still living in southwest Sydney at the time. Um, but it was a fabulous experience. But definitely after the first term, I thought, Oh, another turning point. Definitely not for me. I felt like an old lady there <laughs> trying to, I felt like I was trying to fit in to somewhere where I, I really didn't fit in, in a way. Like I was 18 and I felt really old. <laughs> so yes, it was. That um, is such an odd feeling. <laughs> yes. A very, very odd feeling. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it, there is sort of that push. We were speaking a little bit before we started recording this podcast when you're so young you're making these decisions to take mm. ballet further that yeah by the time mm. you get to 18 you feel like you should have already you should have already made those choices and yeah, yeah I mean it's technically <clears throat> possible to have a professional a professional contract when you're 18 yeah it's just I think such mm. a different pathway for everybody yes and so after one term you you stop doing full-time or uh, yep, yep. So I just um, I had already deferred my undergraduate at Macquarie Uni, so my um, my Bachelor of Arts. Mm -hmm. So um, I just literally in one day I uh, I undeferred it, <laughs> and then the about three days later I was at uni. I only missed one week, so I managed to catch up. Yeah, the other thing I think that that comes as quite a shock to dancers who have such a rigid schedule, training, training, training. Yeah when you actually do transition into the academic world, there is so much more flexibility. And some yeah. people don't think that, but I think it takes mm. coming from a less flexible schedule and then yes. oh, semester doesn't start till March. Oh, I can defer mm. you know, and come back yes. to it later. Or yeah. if I need special consideration, you know, that's no problem. Like, yeah, yeah. it's a very yeah. different environment. Yes, mm. yeah. yeah, yes. And I think I always knew that, um, I didn't have um, a thick enough skin as well for um, to continue pursuing ballet, but I think um, I needed to know that. Like I needed to to try full time to really know. Yes, you know this is it's lovely, but you know I do I just enjoy dancing. You know it's not it's not for me. Mm. So I think I would have regretted it if I didn't do full time or try. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see what you mean there. Definitely, like, yeah. and even giving yourself permission to give it a go, I think is is actually yeah. really powerful. Like, yes, yeah, rather than being afraid of failing at it or yeah. afraid of it not working mm. out. Mm. Yeah, well done. Mm. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and so, Lauren, my defining ballet moment. Um, so. When I performed in the Australian Ballet's Nutcracker, I believe I was roughly 10 years old in year four at primary school. Uh, that moment was the defining moment that made me go, I want to be a ballerina when I grow up. 
it was magical, it was transformative, it was a truly incredible experience. So after that point, I, in my mind, I thought I was going to do two years at an academic normal high school, two years at a full-time ballet school or potentially performing arts school. That was the, you know, the negotiation. And then after that, two years, three years pre-professional school and then into a company, dancer, ballet dancer, anywhere in the world. I did not have a preference in location at that point. Although life doesn't always go to plan. So I did do my two years at an academic high school. I went to two years at a performing arts high school. It was a bit over two years because I left during year 11, not year 10. In my mind, I was leaving in year 10. So I left during year 11. I did do three years at a pre-professional school, but it wasn't all at one school. It was two and a bit in London and one in Amsterdam. And I did not go straight into a company. I ended up coming home because I was injured and sick. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think this is really valuable to have these pathways talked about um, because I think probably when you are 10, 11, 12, you can see the pathway like or your teachers present a pathway mm. or you look at other you know other students that follow a particular pathway and you think yeah wow that would be amazing for me but you know it, it is really hard and dancers are so often faced with challenges of injury and illness and i think it's a really important um an important point of discussion because these moments i guess can be either really defining in terms of finding your resilience or they can be really defining in terms of finding another pathway yeah (laughs) and um i guess sometimes being a physio i obviously meet lots of dancers who have injuries or are unwell and i think sometimes the injury or the illness is often a catalyst rather than a a cause Mm. sometimes it can be a cause but i think adding being overseas like adds this extra layer of complexity um Mm. you know and and that must be really difficult being so young coping away from your parents with injury and illness do you mind talking a little bit about about that and what that experience was like of course so uh, my first, so I got a few injuries, a few different rounds of sickness. Um, my first injury was a labral tear to my right hip joint. So for those who don't know, it's a tear in your cartilage. And I was told it would either heal. Well, apparently they don't actually heal. You're a physiotherapist. They don't actually heal and you either require surgery or physio or Pilates or something along those lines. Um, When I was in London, I went to the physiotherapist at the school. My hip did not get better. I kept getting worse actually. And Mm. so I ended up having to go home. I went to a doctor who told me they could book me in for surgery the next week. Um, Although thankfully I sought out more opinions and I found this marvelous physiotherapist here in Sydney spine and pelvis who fixed up my hip or something and gave me the most simple basic (laughs) exercises very simple and basic but it made me able to walk again it helped me walk again without pain which was I found so absurd because I was so used to limping because I was limping and compromising. I also developed injuries in my feet and my ankle on the other leg. So Mm. then I had to sort them out, but they kind of went away when I fixed up my hip. I believe I also got some stressed reactions in my ankles and my feet during my time. They came and go a few times. I'm not entirely aware of how many, how often, but Mm. I do remember there were a few times. Illness-wise, I got a stomach bug during my second year, which then led to constant acid reflux, which Mm. was every night not pleasant. It also led to weight fluctuation, which is not good in the ballet world Mm. because you're very much meant to stay the same weight, same aesthetic, and that did not happen. It also led me to having uh, concentration difficulties, uh, 
gut dysbiosis, uh, brain fog, fatigue. I ended up then getting pneumonia. Then I ended up getting an influenza and then I came home, got better, ended up having more digestive issues. Then I got some other illness and then I developed chronic fatigue syndrome and then I changed my diet. I had to change I ended up coming home because Mm. the brain fog wasn't getting better. My fatigue wasn't getting better. At this stage, I had moved to Amsterdam already thinking that if I changed my diet and stuff, because I was feeling better, that I'd be fine. But Mm. I think it was definitely, I did not realize how much the stress and the environment of the dance world was impacting my body subconsciously. Um, And it has taken me a while to realize that it did take my body a while to adjust back. So yeah, there were, there were plenty. I had, can keep going on. I had chronically low white blood cells. I had, uh, I had never got a period yet. So I had chronic primary, well, primary amenorrhea. amenorrhea. I'm not sure what I'm saying. Primary, yeah, primary, primary amenorrhea. amenorrhea. Mm-hmm. I had high cholesterol, which mm-hmm. was quite abnormal because I didn't eat lots of, saturated fats or anything although now learning that can be linked to stress um what else i had ridiculously high vitamin b12 which was also very abnormal i had doctors thinking i had cancer i had this i had that i had many blood tests many unknown but at the end of the day i think it probably could all be ruled to stress or something like that so Mm -hmm. yeah i mean firstly well done for managing all of that by yourself overseas and obviously you came home multiple times to have some help and some treatment for how long did you actually stop dancing to get better during that time do you mean with the transition i stayed between the holiday schedule Mm. um so i when their holidays were on Mm. my, my holidays were on so the big chunk of holidays was the middle of the year holidays although i ended up i ended up having a bit longer because i ended up having to go to hospital and then mm-hmm. so i did not stay in london after the hospital trip i ended up going home because in london i was by myself i think too that might have been a good time for you to receive some support did you still feel like you should have been dancing despite all of that did you keep trying to dance? Of course Aside I from kept trying to dance. Yeah. Of course, you're stubborn. Yeah. You know, you're a dancer. You have this goal. You have this determination. You have this drive. Mm. You have this focus. It took my body to physically deteriorate to get to the point of, hang on a second, I think I cannot continue doing this goal or dream I had, which mm. was very confronting. And it took me a while to come to terms with it in the fact that this is my goal but it's not quite working my body is not quite coping here so Mm. yeah and so was it did you come to the decision yourself or was it a decision that was sort of made in conjunction with your family and medical practitioners to actually stop or what what made you say I can't do this anymore do you remember? There wasn't an actual decision. Mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. It was mm-hmm. like, so after I went home from London after the hospital, emergency hospital thing, my gosh, I ended up coming home, changing diet, went to see many doctors. I felt better. So I was like, okay, I can do this. I went back overseas to London. Mm-hmm. And then from there, the change of directors went to Amsterdam and, um, then I noticed my health started deteriorating again about another few months, a month or something into it. I knew something was off and then it kept getting worse. And I'm like, oh gosh, this is actually, I need to get home, sort this out. I can't, that was when I was like, I can't keep dancing like this because I'm not actually dancing. I'm just trying to move through the motions. I couldn't remember exercises. I couldn't do anything. When I came home, when I first came home after that, my in my mind, it was always like, I'll get better, I'll get better, I go back to it. But after a while, it time passed and, you know, you're only young and you have to be young to go into, well, 
the idea is that you have to be young to go into professional dance and time just passed and I did not touch my point shoes for a few months I was very upset and so it just kind of fell into the thing that I guess I'm not doing this anymore professionally Mm. Um, so yeah now I've been home for almost three years and I'm not going back anytime soon the more I'm home the more I realize that I'm like no I'm not going back there's no way I'm done I'm done so yeah yeah and so Isabella reflecting on your experiences um I suppose it wasn't necessarily health complications that or like physical health complications that kind of I suppose, made that decision for you to stop. But I guess, can you reflect mentally on what you were sort of thinking in your mind? So in that in that time you spent at the full-time school before you stopped, like, do you remember how you were feeling about dance at that time? Yes, it was a big train wreck. <laughs> yes. Um, I, th- um, I think um, pretty much from... Um, maybe like maybe from about year seven, I said in the back of my head, you know, I think I will still be able to pursue a ballet career in some way. But then when I got to full time, that re- that really, I was like, no, no, it's um, I, I can, I'm glad that I finally chose to do this because now I can finally see that, um, no, it's not for me. There were, um, I mean, the the girls were absolutely lovely there, but um, it really hit me how um. Uh, mainly they like they all just talked about auditions and um solos and um predilisan and all those and they didn't really talk about anything else and not that that was a bad thing it was just like that was the world that they were in and then I sat there uh, my 18 year old self and I said no I'm 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 not in this world and then the battle in my head started I wish I was in that world I wish I could do that um but Yes, and I'm still working on it a bit today, but um, just being um, comfortable that I didn't have to try and try an audition and go somewhere because I knew that I didn't, like, like I knew I didn't want to go. Hmm. And I remember one of my, um, uh, the other place that I auditioned for, not the one in Wollongong, they asked me if I was um, keen to, to go overseas because mm. I only had to train for 10 months and then I could be gone by September. I remember were their words. And I was like, oh, my goodness, gone by September. <laughs> um, and I remember I, I remember saying to them, you know, I, I, I like to, you know, keep my options open. I just like to, you know, to dance for a year after high school full time would be lovely. And I remember one of them said to me, um, oh, well, you know, you um, you have to love ballet that much that you want to go somewhere. You can't just stay here and love it. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, what do you mean I can't just stay here and love it? Is that a crime? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it, it really does depend on the school and the environment that you're in, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it's a mm. funny sort of world because, yeah, there's not a lot of, sort of scope I think for people who are at, at an age people would assume mm. you know that you want to go mm. it's it is an assumption isn't it yeah that, that mm. make. yeah 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 very powerful very powerful mm. I yeah, think it was I think the whole you know identifying as a dancer it's a really interesting thing because mm. I think for a long time when you stop doing what you're doing you know as intensely as that every day all day it becomes mm. um you question whether you really are still a dancer you say oh I mm. used to dance I used to dance yeah um mm. but you you'll probably never really stop dancing um yeah. you know and even if you do stop for a little while it doesn't mean that you stop forever yeah mm. yeah yeah like you'll, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, I just in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just gonna mm. say, I don't think you'll ever stop dancing, even whether it's around the house or anywhere. Yeah. Even now, yeah. when I'm just normal work and hospitality, I stand in positions with my feet <laughs> turned out, yeah. and people go to me, "Are you a dancer? You must be a ballet dancer." <laughs> or when I was carrying this tray stack once, I'm like, "You look just like a ballerina when you do that." I'm like, uh, "Well, <laughs> I kind of was a ballerina." Oh. So oh, it's so just funny. those little things which make you think you can't mm. 
even though you've left the professional aspect, I don't think the ballet world ever kind of leaves you. Yes. Well said. Well said. Mm. Yeah. I guess going back to your journeys, like what were some of the things that you were both quite grateful for along your pathway? So Lauren, I know you mentioned that one particular teacher who taught in a style that really clicked with you. Were there other things um, that you were quite you know, that you are quite, apart from maybe having good posture when you're working in hospitality, although that is, <laughs> tick that one, we'll tick that box. So other things that you're grateful for, things that ballet has, has taught you? Um... So ballet has taught me so much. I cannot, don't know where to begin in some ways. I've learned Newton's three laws through ballet, not through science <laughs> classes. I first learned them through ballet. I've it's ballet I believe is a life teacher in the sense that you grow up fast fast you learn determination drive you learn passion you learn what it's like to what effort is and what work is and how it makes a difference to go after a goal and how it changes you I've so I can't begin just anyway there's that aspect and also the friendships formed you go Mm -hmm. through so much in the ballet the dance world and it is a very intense competitive environment and some ways when you're in that intense competitive environment there's a bit of you're not quite friends in the sense because you're always competing against each other Mm -hmm. but in saying that you if you're lucky which I was very lucky I've got a great friend in Izzy and I've developed some amazing (laughs) friendships that everyone's so nice because you're going through this same experience you're both going through it every it's a bit shit at times like you know you have a teacher who's yelling at you you have this off day in pirouettes or something and everyone's going through the same shit everyone's going for the same goal and because of that there's like this common humanity there and even after for example leaving pursuing dance professionally if I meet a dancer on a street if I see another Australian dancer overseas it's like we're instant friends because we share this same experience which is so unique to dancers and so for that I'm grateful I have amazing friendships now so it's great. Izzy. I love that. Yes, I would definitely agree with that, Lauren. Yeah, definitely the um, the different friendships, um, p- particularly when I was making my um, uh, my documentary, which you watched um, for my masters. So it was Lauren, um, Jasmine, and Kendall. Um, just being able to, you all had different stories, but yes, like it was all you're all unified because you're all dancers. It was yes, it was really special, and and even though I didn't go overseas as well, I felt like I could I could still resonate with. Um, like the ideas about how dance never leaves you and yeah so that that's very special I love that point that you made Lauren Um, there were definitely a few teachers as well that I had in high school and at my studios who when um, particularly at MacArthur Ballet when all the girls were uh, winning gold medals on the weekends and doing a Stedford after a Stedford and I was just doing my one ballet solo at Wollongong and Sydney Stedford which was all I wanted to do <laughs> my teachers never made me feel like that I had to be doing that or that oh why are you only doing one solo so um, I was very grateful for that that I um, wasn't put down for that um, and I was still they still looked at me in the same way as you you love dancing and you know you're not worse than them because um you don't want to do all those um all those competitions and all those extra things so I will always be grateful for that <laughs> yeah what a what a lovely experience I think that's um so valuable such a valuable point mm. to make like that your yeah. love of, of dance is is still equal to the you know the love that those other people might have had as well yeah yeah you mentioned your documentary so you have since pursued um a master's um in creative industries do would you like to tell tell us a bit about your documentary because we haven't really talked much about that but basically i met you through watching the other documentary that you made um so yeah tell us about that project a little bit yes so um Yes, yeah, so it's part of my master's in creative industries. One of the unit was um, basically you produced a documentary about anything. So I was very excited. <laughs> I think I'm the, I was the only dancer in my cohort as well. So it was very different um, when we were all showing and telling. 
Um, yeah, so it could be about um, absolutely anything. And I thought, yes, definitely going to do a ballet documentary. Um, when I was on exchange in 2019, just before COVID, for documentary as well, I, I made a um, documentary film just on one ballet dancer in um, Indianapolis, which is where we were studying. So that was really cool. And I thought, oh, I want to do it again, except I want to have more, more dancers. Yes. So that was when I contacted Lauren and the two other beautiful girls. So that was really good. And basically when I was planning, I kind of thought I stopped and I thought, oh, I hope that they want to share their story because I know it's going to be, you know, very emotional. But um, yes, uh, luckily they were all um, at the stage where it wasn't too close to home um, and they you know they, of course it was uh, emotional but I felt so honored that they were able to share to, to share all that with me um, but basically I think it went for eight minutes and it was them sharing their their ballet journeys I didn't want to have it in a pessimistic light but I also didn't want it to be like super duper positive so it's kind of hard to have that balance but I think it, I think it was there is about a bit like what we were talking about, the, you know, the dancer in you always lives on, doesn't matter where you were or, you know, what you're doing now. But it also did shed light on the things that the dance world really needs to fix, I suppose. <laughs> yes, without it being too um, negative about the ballet world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's yeah. totally valid. I think there are a lot of really mm. amazing things about the ballet world and it's why yes. it has survived, you know, through decades and decades and generations and generations yeah. but yeah I mean when I did watch the when I did watch the documentary I kind of did feel you know a very strong sort of okay these are really young people who have lived mm. um, you know probably not too unusual experiences when it comes to you know pursuing a dance career and they're mm. reflecting on how how difficult it actually can be um to mm. pursue a passion and of course you know if something's something worth doing is probably not going to be really easy like there are a yes. lot of a lot of ways to say mm. that but at the same time you know i think it's very powerful because those those young voices you know they will become dance teachers of tomorrow dance yeah. parents of tomorrow they'll buy tickets to see the ballet you know, mm, and, yes. and I think we still need to keep ballet alive in not have people coming away from it feeling so so burnt out or jaded <laughs> necessarily. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh. yeah. So I guess if you could but if you could give yourselves some advice, um, imagine that you're giving advice to yourself at fourteen, what advice would that be? Um <laughs> Yes, probably. Oh, I mean, retrospect is difficult, but big one would probably be, it's very cliche, but, you know, the, the grass isn't greener in someone else's front yard. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, I mean, there were a few, uh, there were a few girls um, at, at MacArthur Ballet um, where I, I used to always tell my mum, mum, so-and-so is the most perfect ballerina in the world and she's going to go so far and, you know, she's so perfect and, you know, I, I hope one day that I can be like her. And obviously that's not what any parent wants to hear. <laughs> um, so, yes, I had. And then when they when whenever those girls came back from wherever they were, I would go, oh, they, you know, were like what happened? They were meant to be the most perfect ballerina in the world. Like I, I had created. Obviously, they were amazing, but I created these images in my head that weren't true and they were a bit, you know, they were too exaggerated, but because I, I wanted to be like that, that's what I, I made the image to be. And I think that's a really good thing to remember that you have to, like, like you have to have perspective and that, you know, not to have these rose colored glasses on just because you're not doing what someone else is doing that, you know, you can, you can water your own grass. <laughs> that's great. I yeah. love the grass analogy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so really, really powerful, really powerful. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And Lauren? You um, carry on with the perspective idea, uh, more so in keeping things in perspective that mm. in the ballet world you feel that your entire world is ballet. You eat, mm. drink, dance, you know, 
live, breathe ballet. Uh, used to say ballet before breathing used to be the term we used to say just, oh, as a joke. But yeah, I think it'd be very crucial around 14, 15, especially when so many are going full time or, you know, part time and they're really trying to pursue it professionally. I think it's vital to keep a broader perspective that this is your ballet world, but it's not the only thing that matters, that mm. there is so much else out there. And to remember to, you can do normal people things because I'm looking back thinking when I was 14, 15, I did not have a quote unquote normal person's life. I did not, you know, have, I didn't do anything except dance. Like dance was everything. And so mm. I think looking back, I would say, you know, but in saying that, I might not have gotten as far as I did in the ballet world if I mm. had not sacrificed those things because you sacrifice mm. everything to achieve this one thing. So I can mm. easily say that now, but in saying that, I don't know how it would have impacted my life in the future. So Yeah, yeah excellent point. And I think mm. that is actually a big unknown because mm. I think the culture sort of perpetuates that sort of, you know, it seems that that's sort of the pattern really. Like, and you do invest so much time, it's hard to know what you would have done with that time if you mm. if you could have had it differently. But I think your point is very valid in that it's okay to do normal person things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> normal person. Normal person. What do you mean by normal person? <laughs> we're all doing thing? quotation marks. We are. <laughs> can't see this, but we're doing like the rabbit ears. Um, yeah. what, <laughs> what, um, what do you mean by normal person things? Oh, good question. Good question. I think I would mean someone who does lives a life which isn't dedicated to one thing that has more to their life than one thing that, for example, might do other after school activities other than this one thing that um, because of dance, I had a very rigid routine. And so my entire life was ruled by dance, how much I ate when I went to bed everything had to be some sort ordered so I could achieve this goal and I think when you're a normal person 14 15 I don't think they think like that how much am I going to eat what am I going to eat I have to be at bed at this time when am I going to get up so I can do all my exercises and routine I can't go and see so and so then because I need to be well rested for xyz so that's what I kind of mean in that sense yeah. yeah, I think earlier you mentioned like growing up fast and I think maybe that's a good example. Yes. Yeah. 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 There are certainly benefits to that, but, yeah, I guess it's the flip side, hey. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to share, any other pearls of wisdom for young dancers or um, teachers or parents that might be listening to this podcast before I ask my last question? Oh. Breathe remember to breathe you know just breathe keep going the breathing before ballet <laughs> yes breathing before ballet. <laughs> not the ballet before breathing breathing before ballet yeah. oh gosh it's like saying now ballet dies hard like the ballet dance is always with you but breathe before yeah. ballet not ballet before breathing that's that's pretty good advice yeah it should be <laughs> you know, <laughs> some ways you know they say dancers are smart but really <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, my last question is what was or is your preferred pair of point shoes? Oh. Just oh, a right. fun one. Oh, well, I had all together. Preferred point shoes. I've pretty much tried every single brand possible under the sun except for Gain or Minden's. Sorry, they have. I've tried Grishko, Capizio, Block. I've done the Block Euro Stretch. I've done Repito. I've done Freed. My last pair of point shoes, which I fell in love with, were Freed custom-made point shoes. Used to, from the Freed brand, if you know, accustomed to it, they each have their own different maker. So you might have the crown maker, the heart maker, the butterfly maker. And then I think the crown maker was the really good one, which a lot of people liked. And I also liked the butterfly one. And so I used to get custom-made butterfly makers point shoes, and they were my favourite point shoes. So, yeah still have a whole heap of them <laughs> don't know what I'm gonna do with them but yes 
Wow. Yeah, that's, oh, wow. that's a secret. Don't tell too many people about that. <laughs> They're a hard commodity to come by. Yeah, but the crown point shoemaker or some maker was currently retiring or one of them was going to retire and it was a big thing. You wanted to stock Ooh. up because, you know, once you find a good maker, because the free pointers are so, you know, personalised, then you really want to stick with them. So. Mm. Um, I loved Gaynor Minden. <laughs> Absolutely loved them so much. They um, um, Obviously, they have a bit of the preformed arch and my feet were already quite bendy. So when I put them in the point shoe, it looked amazing. <laughs> Until I got to McDonald College and Miss Barry said, you need to get out of Gaynor Minden's. <laughs> and I wanted to cry. <laughs> but um, it was probably good that I did that. And I've been in Grushko um, ever since. Grishko Miracle and Stream, which I love as well, but I'll always miss Gaynor Minden. <laughs> it's interesting, actually. I mean, I, I suppose when you're not sort of a student anymore and you're not going through point mm. shoes as quickly, like you have a bit more freedom to choose over yeah. what you'd like to wear for a class here and there. So you, yes. know, you might come back to them. <laughs> yes, you never and so know. different too, your choices, you know, so to so, yeah. so Mm. Yeah. Mm. No. I, yep. I love hearing <laughs> I had to use good point shoes I, I, I'm skeptical I don't think your feet would have been yeah I know but no. in the dance <laughs> I don't have those extremely high in steps or anything so that's made me experiment a lot with my point shoes I suppose mm. yeah. there you go well thank you both so much for giving your time and sharing your stories um i recognize that they might still be very difficult stories to tell but they're important stories to tell and i think um you know i hope that this episode has shed some light on on resilience and um opportunity and pathways for young dancers so thank you both so much thank you for having us thank you thank very you much. Oh, thank you so much Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.